0: Hello everyone, lovely to see you this afternoon, um, if we haven't met before then my name's Phil uh, and uh, I've been part of Glasgow Grace for some time now, it's a huge uh, privilege to speak to you today. Um, I'm going to be talking from uh, the book of Ephesians, So, if you have a Bible with you and uh, you want to turn there we're going to be in chapter 3, this is part of our series that we're doing currently on Ephesians and we've reached uh, a very exciting portion uh, of Scripture uh, today. Uh, it's, it is an almost, uh, and I say this uh, with careful thought, it is an almost incomprehensibly wonderful section of the Bible that we're reading this morning. So wonderful, in fact. That the great uh, Martin Lloyd Jones spent 14 Sundays preaching on the portion of scripture that we're looking for looking at uh, this afternoon, but you'll be pleased to know that I am restricting my comments to just one Sunday. He said this, he said, "Here we are dealing with perhaps one of the sublimest, most glorious." and most moving statements that is to be found anywhere in the entire range of the scriptures. Certainly, we are here face to face with one of the highest heights of the Christian life and what is possible for Christian people. Imagine that. This is an extraordinary piece of the Bible. So we're going to have a look at this. We're going to start in chapter, chapter 3, as I say, and verse 14 to 21. So this is Paul writing to the Ephesian church, and we're going to hear what he is praying for them. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven And on earth, his name, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, to know the love of Christ that passes, surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, I want us to notice, if we can, I think four, yes, four things that uh, about this incredible prayer. And the first is is the simplest and perhaps the most important. And it's this that Paul is praying. Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. Paul, perhaps the greatest teacher in the history of the church. The last 2,000 years, pretty long history. Perhaps the greatest teacher in the history of the church. And yet he understands this, that teaching, great though it is, It's not enough. It's not enough. And actually, when we look at the Gospels, even before the church was birthed, we see that even Jesus, I say this with reverence, even Jesus understood this truth. And that's why in John 17, after he teaches his disciples, we see him praying for them and indeed for us. I wonder what better teaching you could imagine. I mean, if you're into teaching, if you're somebody who loves to read your Bible and you love to kind of watching uh, YouTube preaches or podcasts, if you're somebody like that, you know, you really love, you know, getting great teaching. I wonder if you could imagine anything better Sometimes I think about this and think, gosh, what would it have been like? Then the 40 days after Jesus was resurrected and he was teaching his disciples. I mean, wouldn't you have just wanted to be there? 40 days with the resurrected Jesus teaching you the scriptures. I mean, I would, I'd have queued up for that. Um, But what's amazing is... Is that even after 40 days of Bible teaching from the resurrected Christ, he says to them, Wait in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Teaching, great though it is, it's not enough. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and he was a pretty good teacher. The best teaching in the world, think about that. The best teaching in the world is useless unless the Holy Spirit takes hold of it and applies it opens our understanding to it and gives it a deep lodging place in our whole being. Now, I know that we could nod and, yeah, Phil, yeah, good one. I agree with that. But I wonder if actually we could just take a moment just to pray because I'm going to do my best this morning. But this may not be the best teaching in the world. But the truth is that even if it was, it wouldn't change you. Unless the Holy Spirit does something in your hearts this afternoon. And I don't know about you, I'm here to be changed. So could we just... Can we, I know that sometimes a preacher says, can we pray? And everybody kind of shuts their eyes. And, but can you really... Can we really open our hearts to Jesus this afternoon? I mean, gosh, I'm still thinking about Cameron walking all the way here. I'm not I I don't want to come here to go through the motions. I want to be changed. And I know that he is only him who can do this. So why don't we just open our hearts a second and invite him, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us. Jesus, you promised that where two or more were gathered in your name, you would be among us. That you are among us this afternoon. And Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts and that you would bring your word alive and that it would change us. Let it have a deep lodging place in our lives. Amen. So he prays. Now, why does he pray? And this is, this is also pretty important. He prays, for the church and he prays for the church because he understands that the church is fundamentally a supernatural body comprised of people who have been born again from above. A miracle has taken place in your life if you are following Jesus today. You you weren't always like this, and the only reason that you are is because something of heaven has come to dwell in your heart. A miracle has taken place. A super, you know, Paul says, you know, when you become a, 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 a Christian, you know, the old is gone, the new has come, you're a new creation. Something extraordinary has taken place in your life. And Paul understands, That the church is a supernatural entity it's not hard to see this when you have a quick run through the early chapters of Acts you know the outpouring of the spirit in Acts chapter 2 Peter going to the temple seeing a beggar in the street silver and gold have I none but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus stand up and walk Something extraordinary, something supernatural is exploding, is taking place. Then Peter's arrested. The whole church gather together, they pray. An angel appears, lets him out. They throw others in jail. They get together, they pray again. The whole building shakes. Something extraordinary is breaking out in the world. The church is a supernatural body, or it's nothing at all. You know, the first ch- a few verses, the first verse of um, the first thirteen verses of chapter three, the section of chapter three before we've read, is actually just a big digression. It's a big parenthesis. So when Paul says in verse 14, the first verse that we're looking at today, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. You have to actually look at the end of chapter two to know what the reason is that he's praying for them. And when you look there, this is what you find. This is the way Paul talks about the church. This is the way Paul thinks about the church. This breathtaking statement, in the last verse of chapter two, in him, that is in Jesus, you also, that is you, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit That is a verse that is so easy to just read over. And when you've read Ephesians a lot, as some of us will have, you think, oh yeah, dwelling place of God with the Spirit. But come on, think about that. That we are being built together as a place where God Almighty can live on this earth. That is mind blowing. The, the church is, you know, listen, rotas are important to make things run. And I'm on a few, and I dare say you are too. But f- folks, we cannot, we cannot ever get to thinking that this is what the church is. Or this is all the church is. The church is a dwelling place for God on earth or it is nothing at all. What's your view of the church? Is it, you know, a like-minded group of friends? A business franchise? Sometimes we can think to ourselves, actually, you know, what we really need, you know, some better marketing strategies. Maybe we need to just figure out how Facebook works and we can, you know, advertise to the right people. What we need is a PA system that really rocks, and that will do it. Friends, this is completely, not, not to diminish the importance of any one of these things in the right place, but this is foreign to the way the New Testament speaks about the church. You see, if you see that the church is being built together, that it's people like you and me, ordinary people like you and me, being built together to be a place where God Almighty can dwell on this earth, then you'll realize and see immediately that prayer is utterly essential. It's utterly essential. What's your plan for church growth in 2020? I I, I would venture to say that good flyers are not gonna do it. Prayer, utterly essential. You know, these things will build a club. But the church is not a club. And this idea that Paul talks about would have been very familiar to the Ephesians. Because if you read Acts 19, you see how the church in Ephesus began. Paul rocks up. And the first question he asks this group of believers that he meets is, did you you receive the Spirit when you believed? That's his first question. Okay, you're a believer, brilliant. Have you received the Spirit? Question number one. Maybe that's a good question for you to think about this morning. Have you received the Spirit when you believe? You believe, wonderful, you're following Jesus. Incredible. Have you received the Spirit? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is available to you this this afternoon? keep wanting to say this morning and then if you read that Acts 19 that's verse 2 did you receive the spirit when you believed he says by verse 11 we're reading this God did extraordinary miracles through Paul Paul was kind of working away in his shop and and people would come in they would bring their like hankies and, and he, would, or, or he, would, he would kind of have a hanky that he would wipe his brow with because he was so hot while he was working. And they would take these hankies and people were getting healed. I mean, it seems weird. I mean, that seems weird. But listen, that's what it says. People, you know, extraordinary miracles happened through Paul when he was in Ephesus. Verse 11, verse 29, by verse 29... Verse 2, have you received the Spirit? Verse 11, extraordinary miracles. By verse 29, this is what we read. The whole city was in uproar. (laughs) The whole city. It was like a riot in George Square. Can you imagine that? The whole city in uproar. Why? Because the church was being birthed in Ephesus. And the church is a dwelling place for God on earth. And it's because of this that prayer is essential. Terry Virgo, the man, the great man who, who founded New Frontiers, he said this, today we need churches not just of explanation but of demonstration. think about that. I also want to say that Paul prays, so he prays, but he also prays despite his circumstances. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. That Paul is writing this letter and praying this prayer in jail. If you know anything about first century jails, you'll know they were not a lot of fun. I mean, they were almost unimaginably to us today, grim. And there he is, writing his letter with all his teaching and praying for the Ephesians. He's in prison. He's probably shackled physically to a Roman guard. And this tells us that prayer is not only the most essential thing, It is also the most durable thing. In other words, it is the thing that we have when we have nothing else. Now, this is important because in these days, much is unavailable to us that formerly we took for granted. Buildings to meet in, friends to see, small groups to attend, meetings to go to, worship times to have together with amazing PA systems. Much that we once had, for this season at least, we do not have. But this is what we still have, we can pray. And this, friends, the truth is this, this is actually all we need. And I wonder, as I've thought about this season that we're in, and this is what I feel God is saying, that God is calling us to pray. He's calling his church back to the most important thing, when all the distractions are being removed from us and the world is in such a state, friends, this is your moment. This is your moment. This is our moment. This is the church's moment. To call on God and see what He will do. So Paul prays, and Paul prays despite his circumstances. Gosh, I'm going to have to skip some of these. Um, okay, to whom does he pray? Let's uh, let's talk about that. To whom does he pray? Uh, Verse 14 and 15 says, the father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. It's fascinating that that Paul allows God to define who he is. Rather than we so often define God through things like earthly fathers or through our culture or through our circumstances. And here Paul is saying, no, no, no. God is the ultimate father and all earthly fathers really find their place and their call within him. We don't pray according to our culture, according to our circumstances. We don't even pray according to our abilities. But in verse 15, 16, we, re- we discover this extraordinary truth. We pray according to the riches of his glory. Now, come, come on, just think about that for a second. We are to pray according to the riches of glory, of his glory. You know, what do you think about when you, you hear a phrase like the glory of God? There's an interesting question. You know, do, do you think, like me, I, I say I would say that probably me, when if I was to hear that phrase, I'd probably think of the immensity of God's power or the vastness of the universe that he created or the moments in the Old Testament or maybe in the book of Revelation where there was thunder and there was lightning and there was dark clouds and maybe there's fire and there was maybe a prophet yeah, doing something like that. You know, that, that's what I'd be thinking about if I thought about the glory of God. But what about this? In Exodus chapter 33, we read an utterly remarkable story of a man, a human being, just like you, by the way, and me, who had such an intimate relationship with God that he dared to ask this question. Please show me your glory. And what was God's response? Well, he said this. I will make all my goodness pass before you. You see, when we are speaking about the glory of God, we are speaking about the essence of who he is. And when God defines it, his goodness is right at the center of his being. Dane Ortland says this, when God himself sets the terms on what his glory is, he surprises us into wonder. We expect the bent of God's heart to be retribution to our waywardness, but the bent of God's heart is mercy. His glory is his goodness. His glory is his lowliness. and Psalm 138 says this, Great is the glory of God. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. This is what we are to pray according to, according to the goodness of of who he is. And in verse 20, Paul says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. How do you know that God is able to do more than we can think? Well, Sinclair Ferguson, the great, Scottish preacher says this, the reason we know that he can is because he already has. In Jesus coming to this world and dying for us, he has done already more than we could possibly ask. And this should affect the way we pray. And finally, very briefly, what does Paul pray for? I wonder what you would pray for, for oh, the church in a city. What would you pre- When you pray for Glasgow Grace or when you pray for the church in, in, in Glasgow as a whole or when you pray for gla- the church in the whole nation or the whole world, what do you pray for? What comes to your mind? Well, it's interesting that for Paul, it isn't what I would pray for. (laughs) Maybe you're better than me, but it's not what I would pray for. He doesn't pray for bums on seats. He doesn't pray for more people through the door. What he prays for is all Fullness of God. All the fullness of God. You know another way of asking what, what do you pray for for the church is to is to ask this question: What are you here for in church? And 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 what even is the church for? Gosh, these are big questions. And lockdown, it makes us ask these questions and this pandemic is, is maybe you're not, um, maybe I'm alone in this, but it, seem, it seems to me that I've met a lot of, of people who are asking questions. I've also met a lot of Christians who are asking questions. Like, yeah, what, what, what are we doing this for again? Like, you know, I think I used to know, but now we haven't done it in a while. We haven't met for a while. You know, what, 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 is, what, what is this for again? Well, Paul's answer is that the church is here to experience all the fullness of God. And you can see that actually that is also his preoccupation on a personal level. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. In other words, Paul was there for Jesus. He was there for, know, for, for him and for knowing him. This was his priority for the church because it was his priority for himself, because it was his way of understanding what a Christian even is. We get this in chapter four of Ephesians, when we'll look at that in a few weeks' time. He said that leadership is given to the church so that we can attain to the measure of the stature of Christ. We're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to be filled with him and become like him and nothing less than that. Athanasius, the early church father, said this. He became like us so we could become like him. That's what we're here for, to become like him. The focus is on Christ and everything flows from this. The focus isn't on church growth, though growth is expected in a church as much as it's expected in a garden if you plant the right stuff and it rains. The focus isn't on being a student church or a young professional church or a praying church or a worship church or a kids club church. The focus is of becoming like Jesus because every other goal, great though they are, is lesser and in some ways unworthy of our calling. And so to become like him, friends, we first need to know, and this is really the heart Of Paul's prayer that we would know his love for us. Jesus said in John chapter 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, the greatest of these is love, Paul writes to the Corinthians. What shall we do to have eternal life, Jesus? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. Paul wants the Ephesians to be rooted and grounded in love. This is the foundation. Love is the foundation. It's not the thing that we, you know, a few particular people who are nice (laughs) get. This is the foundation of who we are. The greatest, this is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you know that he loves you? Friends, I don't think that we are going to do a good job of loving the world and of loving each other unless we first know that he loves us. God isn't looking for workers who will simply perform a task. He's looking for children who will represent his heart. And we do not do this if we are uncertain of his heart for us. I'm going to invite Stu to come up, and he's going to play. And as he plays, this is a moment, this this afternoon... (laughs) to do business with Jesus, who's here. This is who you turned up for, for him. This is, this is a moment, as, he, as Stu plays, for you to, to forget everything else and just focus on him and ask him how he feels about you. What is, the, what is his heart for you? You may forget everything I said, but if he speaks to you in that moment, you will never forget it and it will change you. So let's listen to Stu as he plays and let's focus on Jesus.